2: Welcome back to New Books and Psychoanalysis, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Our guest for the episode is Dr. Helena Vissing. Dr. Vissing is a licensed psychologist and somatic experiencing practitioner based in Northern California. She is certified in perinatal mental health and specializes in trauma treatment and psychodynamic psychotherapy. She joins us today to talk about her new book, Somatic Maternal Healing. Psychodynamic and Somatic Trauma Treatment for Perinatal Mental Health, published 2023 by Routledge. And joining me, uh, this is my first time doing this, I have a co-host, my colleague here in New York. My colleague is Golzar Selbinogchene. She is a training and supervising licensed psychoanalyst with special expertise in reproductive and maternal mental health. She created and built Network for the Advancement of Perinatal Support, an integrative mental health program for OBGYN offices and fertility clinics that she launched in 2014 at the renowned Downtown Women OBGYN practice in New York City. Nagshaneh is also teaching faculty at the New York Graduate School of Psychoanalysis and the Center for Modern Psychoanalytic Studies here in New York. We both just finished our semester. Uh, Golzar, thank you for joining me as a host. And uh, Helena, thanks for joining us for the book.
0: Thanks for having me.
2: So this is a psychoanalytic podcast. We begin with the question, Helena, as far as we can know our own motivations, what motivated you to write the book?
1: Yeah, so I started my interest in the topic of specifically motherhood, the transition to motherhood, uh, and then maternal mental health uh, way back. Um, I I actually started specializing in developmental psychology, play therapy. I was a school psychologist, but um, something was drawing me to then understand that go deeper into uh, specifically for for motherhood. So that started way back um, also when I came to the U.S. in 2010 and did my dissertation, I was called to that topic and was already interested in it from a psychoanalytic or psychodynamic perspective. But I then as I was going on with my training, deepening my training, um, I started training in um, somatic approaches, somatic experiencing, And when i started that training um i was really excited to to learn some a new modality to deepen uh, my work in the maternal mental health specialization and um i was a a bit surprised also just a bit disappointed when i discovered that in that uh, pretty big community of somatic training or somatic practitioners there was not really a subgroup of specifically maternal mental health adaptations. Um, A lot of people would say they work with perinatal, say, yeah, sure, perinatal, but more like working with babies and working with families. And although I also love infant mental health and family mental health, that particular focus on the mother's perspective um, was was missing. And I was really kind of struck by this, this lack, like that there was this, like, like I had my two legs in these two fields. I was very, very, um, inspired by the, the, these two areas. And I couldn't find that like solid bridge. So, um, it felt very, um, I, I was really drawn to this work of like bridging the two. I, I was, I became very motivated, de- determined to, to create a a bridge between the two. And uh, certainly also on the, on the personal side, um, I, I did have my, I had my first child as I was doing my dissertation, uh, focusing on uh, psychology of motherhood. Uh, and then my second child, I had some, Ten years later, uh, while writing this book, so there's certainly also that background of my, my personal, um, my personal experiences with uh, the perinatal transition.
2: Great, um, Golsonarz uh, and I spoke briefly uh, this morning. Um, <clears throat> Golsonarz, I'm going to give you the first question. You uh, you zeroed in on something in the book that you're uh, very interested in.
0: Yeah. You know, as a perinatal practitioner and and somebody who works with, um, you know, IVF populations, people who are going through fertility treatments, I've become increasingly aware the role hormones plays, which I think is sometimes, uh, especially within psychoanalytic communities, sometimes we forget the reality of biology. And that has become more and more uh, top of mind for me. I'm reading a fantastic book about how our hormones are changed by birth control. And so we have all this data, we know that uh, people who suffer from postpartum depression are more likely to have uh, perimenopausal or menopausal depression. So we see that there are hormonal elements. Something I loved about the book was how much you really touch on the biological changes during the perinatal period, postpartum, in PTSD, um, one section was about how trauma was nuancing our understanding of oxytocin. I would love to hear a little bit of um, how hormones play a role and how you work with that in a somatic way.
1: Yes. Yeah. A- and uh, to that, I, I want to say that the biopsychosocial, not just the, the model, but I-, I like the term biopsychosocial um clinical way of thinking it's like a clinical attitude i have found that in just the guiding principle for this field because it has always frustrated me when i was studying maternal mental health or motherhood when i was like really feeling i had to jump from one paradigm to the other and the paradigms were not connecting were not communicating so it would only be like classic psychodynamic approaches that was purely focusing on the psychological, or was purely biologic, biomedical research, just only looking at the hormonal piece. Um, and I, I I was frustrated by that because we know all of this interact. I mean, I know from all of our clin- my clinical experience, I see it just really interacting in, in so many ways, and my own personal experience, of course. So so I've. That the biopsychosocial framework way of thinking helped me to just constantly look at, you know, we're always digging into the the research, the knowledge, the theories from the different paradigms, and then seeing how they inform each other back and forth. And um, the thing is that we can really, it can really enrich in our work, for example, like we know the, the the enormous intensity of the hormonal shifts of the perinatal transitions will impact emotional health and mental health, uh, or just your inner state, right? The psychodynamic attitude, when you can really engage with the biomedical research, you can also kind of bring that subjective experience to the experience, to that, those huge um, changes, right? To make sense of that. So as so it's, so it's not one or the other, like to give an example of how extreme it is, like that I've worked, I work with people where they might have had very, very little, very low uh, symptoms of like anxiety in the OCD realm, but the maternal transition will trigger intense high levels of OCD symptoms um, that we know have a very big um, uh, hormonal neurological component to it. And then, uh, for example, sometimes it's the breastfeeding, lactation. Sometimes it's that IVF treatment. Sometimes it's just a pregnancy ending. Sometimes it's um, the uh, something, the big shifts biologically really showing also a big change in the emotional inner state. And... Instead of saying, "Oh, it's just purely biology, right? That's why you were depressed or anxious, right? That's it," we can we can make use of that to understand. Well, what was the experience of going through such a hormonal roller coaster? Um, how do you make sense of that? Uh, and how did that play into the 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 rest of that whole transition, life transition, uh, relational transition, all of that on the psychological level? So the way then i work with that uh, somatically is that you have you have to be very thorough in the psychoeducation about this about how yes there's a lot we we know but at the same time there's always the things we don't know and um so often I see in this field that people come in understandably so with this desire to like, let's, let's pinpoint the one explanation, the one factor, because that gives kind of that promise. It's like that, like enigmatic, like the answer, the key. And, and unfortunately we have to work on sitting with like, there was never one answer, right? Maybe it was, the hormones of lactation or not lactating that was a big factor maybe it was also other things maybe it was the psychological significance of that whole feeding journey that was playing into it too activating feelings and memories and relational dynamics right so there's never just one explanation um, and in the somatic, what's important from the somatic perspective is that we're not coming from it from this idea of like that we can just regulate a person out of this overwhelm. That's unrealistic. Um, it's 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 th- These forces are so intense uh, for some people who have this big concoction of vulnerabilities from um, biological vulnerabilities, social and psychological vulnerabilities, no matter how much somatic work you do, you can't just get them into a complete state of like per- perfect bliss and stability. Um, because that on a more existential level, this, this seismic shift in their lives is still going on. Um, so, so that's, that's kind of, that's my, my, ap- ap- approach in that. And, and, and I think the more you work with this, the more you just see how, how intense these life changes are especially the biological too and also the clash there's there's something about the clash between nature and culture the reproductive life life cycles like the perinatal transition really confronts us with the clash between nature our biology and and culture like like nothing else
2: so, with the the biopsychosocial, you you write that uh, biopsychosocial clinical thinking is a reflexive process rather than a protocol. Can you sort of explain your, the, the that thought?
1: Yes. So it's I. I like to. I, I have a like a, the visual I have is the different big kind of circles that overlap of the different paradigms. I mean, the biopsychosocial. We know it's there's been a lot of uh, right uh, critique of that model, right? It could be limiting. I I think there it's not exhaustive. There's more circles or paradigms to add for certain. Uh, besides, from the bio and the social, for example, the spiritual, but. I like the visualization of it with the, the these different paradigms that I I made a graph where the they are like just overlapping. And I like that image because it helps me to think about how, you know, we are always kind of looking zooming in on okay, what's going on in some of these circles here. What's going on on this area, this, this, and we, we do that like investigative work that our, you know, clinical work is too, and referring and testing and consulting and collaborating with other providers. You know, ideally it's, it's not happening enough, unfortunately, but there should be that collaborating with the other providers. And then whenever we're discovering a piece in one of these areas, we should be asking ourselves, well, how does that then impact what's going on in the other areas, the other, from, from other paradigms? So I see it as this like dynamic process of like jumping back and forth of like thinking about, okay, what are we dealing with here? And, and for example, I work a lot with um, uh, per, uh, perinatal psychiatrists, we need more of those. We really need psychiatrists to train in this. It's a really special, specialized you know subfield of psychiatry we re- And I have been so lucky to collaborate with some people who are really talented where they really can grasp all these nuances and when they're in that process of having to try out, for example, different medications. And then to really consider, okay, so, What's going on there what what do we know of typical responses and reactions to um to the different you know the, the symptoms the symptomology and then the different psychotropic options and how does that respond to to other things going on emotionally um you know what's the what's the pre, uh, more prevalent issue right are we seeing a more of a depressed collapse state or are we seeing that super high hypervigilance anxiety or what what's the presentation um, of the from for, for that the clinical picture um, so the biopsychosocial like clinical approach helps me to, to constantly see how the different paradigms are interacting are informing each other and it, it, that is it, I mean, it's overwhelming, right? That's, that's, that just speaks to the overwhelm for our clients. But, but in that, I find that there's a potential for really empowering our clients to see it as like the more they can also adapt this like dynamic clinical or uh, dynamic biopsychosocial thinking, the more they can also feel empowered in expanding their way of thinking. Of the many layers of what they're going through, um, and yeah, it's it's overwhelming, but there's also something empowering about that. Um, I see that a lot, and the, there's we these years we're seeing this like wave of literature around uh, motherhood, reproduction, maternal mental health, all tra- trauma too. And I see many of these books, um, memoir, nonfiction, and fiction. I see this more and more voices uh, speaking to this. Um, for a good example of that is uh, Lucy Jones. Uh, um, a UK-based writer, uh, she wrote a book *Matrescence* on the metamorphosis of pregnancy, childbirth, uh, and, and childbirth. Um, came out, I think, this year, and it was amazing to read it. And I've connected with her because she's she writes like a it's a nonfiction uh, memoir style, and it's it's a beautiful poetic biopsychosocial journey where she goes into biology and psychology she she references uh, analysts and she also goes deep into the psychosocial uh, research so it's also this so i really see this like thirst for this of like we we are inundated with information today how how do we find a way where that becomes an empowering journey of like riding the waves and feeling the dynamics of the, the, the interplay, the, the, diet, the, the way the paradigms can inform each other, as opposed to just only the overwhelm of the information overload.
2: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
0: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of
2: America NA a member FDSE. Well, I've, I love the, the way. No, go ahead, those are yeah.
0: I, I love the way that you're bringing in the, the different dynamics because I think that's so much it's so often patients come into the room and they're like, what is causing this and they want it to be just the hormones or just one thing oh. but really it's this like full picture and you describe it in a really wonderful way
2: yeah and goals are when when, when uh, helena said we need more uh, psychiatrically psychiatrists in, in this world you affirmed that that's that's your finding as well
0: Oh yeah, I mean, reproductive psychiatry is such a important specialization and it's so hard to find them and they're often, because of that, very expensive. And so there's always this big struggle trying to help um, perinatal patients find a reproductive psychiatrist that they can work with. Um, and, and the problem is because the, the field is changing so quickly and so often, just going to a regular psychiatrist I think will miss a lot of what Helena is saying
2: and is that a, a blind spot or a training or what 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 leads them to miss it
0: well I, I know I know that in New York um we have some really amazing training centers that are um you know cornell is producing a lot of really wonderful reproductive psychiatrists but from my experience and helena i'd love to hear from your experience as well i think it's just that uh Psychiatrists can't be up to date on the latest research for perinatal populations because it has not been something that they have traditionally focused on. And there's a lot of fear around prescribing or not prescribing within the perinatal population prescribing because of pregnancy or um breastfeeding and not prescribing because of kind of the elevated fears around uh, postpartum psychosis and potential like suicide or infanticide.
1: Yes, definitely. These are also that's also my experience. Um, you bringing up a number of those things, we, these barriers here, they, they, it's interesting about the barriers specific to this question of um, reproductive psychiatry really reflects a lot about the, the wider issue. So like, you, there's like lack of specialized training right i mean there are some uh good site i mean i was in los angeles for many years and the ucla they have a they have a a wonderful uh program there and they have some they had some pioneers there doing research um but you know those are in the the big cities right the big hubs that but it's it's not you don't have those opportunities for a lot of um um, Psychiatrists to get that specialized training. So, I mean, that's just there, right? A, a lack of opportunities for specialized training. I mean, it's coming along. It's certainly growing these years a lot. Over the last ten years, it's been growing uh, enormously. But, but there's st- still uh, a ways to go. Um, and uh, y- the, there's it's it's a subspecialty with a lot of risks, right? There's a lot of liability. We know it's very high risk. Uh, not 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 just like your outpatient, uh, low to medium risk uh, issues, but certainly the more higher risk with severe mental illness, right? We know the risks are very high, uh, very tricky to deal with. It needs a lot of of support when we're talking about, for example, more uh, severe mental illness or, uh, could be, for example, bipolar disorder or postpartum psychosis. Right, it requires a whole, a whole system. Right, a whole system of care. And being a, a psychiatrist in private practice, you're, I mean, you're one person. That's a lot. I mean, the, you, you would ideally need a whole like a whole group. Right, a, a, a team. Um, I mean, I have been able to sometimes work with people where we are, but we create a team where I, I work with the with the psychiatrist and with the social worker and other people around, and obviously the the, the family members, the partner. Um, But uh, it's it's, in that way, our systems of care, right? The way things are very siloed really uh, show Uh, the the problems with this. Um, Then there's also that question of lack of research when it comes to prescribing. It's it's a big issue. Uh, It's so much an issue that uh, the researchers themselves are now saying, like, this is a problem. The way that uh, traditionally, if, you know, pregnancy is, has been like an automatic exclusion criteria because, no, we can't, we have to protect, right? We cannot, you know, do these trials. But, and that's coming from a, Uh, motivation of protection, right? We want to protect. But what's sad is that ultimately we end up actually putting mothers and parents at higher risk because we don't have the knowledge. We don't have the um, enough uh, data and research. So it's it's a very difficult dilemma, uh, but uh, researchers are now saying that we need to open up uh, to have uh, to do more research. We need to that we have been overly protective, right? The protection has gone to an it's become like too much, so much that we're not producing knowledge that we could actually do. I have to see. I, I see a parallel of this in the somatic world too. It's a very common thing uh, among a body psychotherapists or somatic therapists to say, oh, you don't, you can't do somatic work during pregnancy as like a blanket sl- statement, which, uh, f- Obviously, for someone like me, that really irks me because there's, it's very problematic with this blanket statement of saying, no, no, we can't do any somatic uh, treatment during pregnancy. Uh, because, of course, you can't do intense somatic trauma resolution interventions during pregnancy if it's going to cause a lot of overwhelm. But we never do that if it's causing enormous overwhelm. I mean, solid body psychotherapy or somatically informed modalities are always about ensuring stability and, you know, stabilizing uh, before, like you, you, you can't just go in and and overwhelm. I mean, there's some people doing that, but that's general consensus in the field that is that there needs to be solid stability and relational support uh, before you, you you gently build up resources through working with uh, somatic techniques so um so I, I see this like hesitancy and I think it's partly coming from this good intention of wanting to protect. I wonder if there's also unconscious dynamics at play. My my analytic thinking tells me that we also we we know we have some like collective uh things about the maternal pregnancy. The pregnant body, the maternal subjectivity. Um, you know, if we were going to go deep into the the psychoanalytic and philosophical theories, I mean, we we have some 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 stuff there around that uh, on a collective level. Avoidance, I I would be the would be a word that comes to mind for me.
2: Well, yeah, you, you and, mentioned. And
1: also...
2: <laughs> go ahead, Golza. <laughs>
0: Sorry. Also, the the reality that, you know, women's health is far less funded and uh, pays far less uh, than other equivalent kind of men's health things. So there is also an institutional resistance, which I think calls back to the uh, psychoanalytic resistances. It's rooted in that that no one talks about.
2: We, we should talk about it. We're here today. <laughs> um <laughs> but you so um i uh helena when you talk about avoidance um you have a a section on avoidance and dissociation um and it reminded me of one of our uh thinkers where the in the what's called the modern psychoanalytic school in new york um is uh there's certain characters that um the whole of their affect i'm quoting their whole of their affective life has been influenced by the need to avoid the feeling of hate inside themselves. Um, what feelings are being avoided uh, that you're talking about? What, what's being dissociated that, that turns protection into exclusion and neglect of care or research?
1: I love this question because this is a, I love this uh, psychoanalytic question because that is one of the pieces, besides from, from all the other pieces, is what I, the real gift of going deep into the, the psychoanalytic and, and feminist and philosophical uh, insights on this. Because um, when you really dig into to the literature there, um, it, it's this, um, you know, the body really comes up, right? The body in all its, uh, Meanings, right? the 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 actual concrete physical body and the, the maternal perinatal postpartum pregnant body is just the body that more than anything um, confronts us uh, confronts us with embodiment in itself with our vulnerability uh, in 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 all the ways that that also confronts us with you know, mortality all the intense things. Um, Jacqueline Rose has said right, like that. The, the the mother in that way is the you know the archetypally symbolically the giver of life but the the shadow side of that is that she's also the reminder of death and it it really confronts us and then from the relational school i i'm very in, informed by the the modern relational school um specific, you know specifically jessica, jessica benjamin's work and others where you know that our, our encounter with otherness—it's that's our that's our big issues as, as in humanity, right? That's our blessing and our issue. It's where we really are 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 confronted. Um, and what is that encounter with otherness like concretely? It's uh, it's embodied, right? It's very it's is our corporeal reality. That starts with where we come from. When we come from another body. And the fact that we come from another body—that is also how we discover our, ourselves as embodied subjects. And it, it is in that that field there of the maternal bodily relations that the effective field um, that we we come into being. And um, it's it, it's I think it's hard for us. I think it's. I think it's something we str- struggle with uh, collectively and individually. Um, I have, I'm also working a lot on trying to get a sense and speaking of the the biopsychosocial is, is to get a sense of that also in a historical perspective of like, why is it we struggle with it? What is it about our particular time in history? And speaking from where I'm, I'm working from and writing from it is, you know, a modern era, uh, digitalized modern era uh, in, in Western culture. And um, there's been some great analysis looking at how th- there's something about the, the, the maternal body and the bodily realms of the maternal that we come from that the modern individual of uh, the individual subject in modernity d- has been defined in opposition to that. Um, so this idea we have today of being individuals, the way we understand ourselves, it's like, well, that is because you, you grow up and you, you separate and you come out of that and to become a, a, a wholly defined subject and a maternal, the maternal body, the maternal subject of the, a mother. Uh, and I also think it largely, all, I mean, you know, all other ways, also all parents, but it, particularly mothers in, in my work, um, that is a person that will just disrupt or, or challenge the very idea of the isolated subject. I mean, concretely, pregnancy disrupts it. You're not one, you're not two. And, and that continues in the postpartum. So, so, I think there's something really deeper on a deeper philosophical level here about the how the maternal challenges us uh, at this time in uh, in history and in in um, our particular uh, Western cultural sphere. Um, that I see come out uh, as these, uh, uh, co- the symptoms of that are like, for example, the the issues with the uh, uh, institutional. Um, uh, fragmentation of care, things like that. You know, even with the advances of the biomedical model, there's great advances. Of course, there are lots of forces also trying to implement the biopsychosocial perspective. I, I reference a lot of that literature of these very good attempts within the biomedical model to to bring in a more holistic thinking. Uh, but, but even still, it is that idea, like that idea of the body as a machine, right? It's like the mechanical, it's still fragmented, right? It's like, oh, how do we just solve, you know, the, the there's an illness or, you know, we want to just solve that. And it's still very hard for the biomedical model to fully grasp the, the question of subjectivity um, that we, of course, in our field of psychotherapy, uh, that's our big focus there.
2: so many thoughts. Um, I'm thinking though about seeing the maternal body as, as, as other and relational. I had two thoughts. One, um, uh, a woman who, uh, wrote her, uh, final paper in our school. Um, she, um, was, was, was pregnant and, uh, and had a patient who just didn't even see it. She was showing and, you know, about to, and, and had a complete blindness to it. But I'm I'm going back to the idea of we, we must protect. Um, and the idea that the ego ideal is what is both desired to be returned to and of course protecting the ego ideal in the unconscious. Is is there is the mother's body unconsciously not seen? Is it a narcissistic identification and is an ego ideal that's being protected that of course ends up preventing real care? And this is a, a brand new question that just came to me. So,
1: yeah, that's a good question. I think because I, I, it's a good question and I really grapple with this because it's, I think it's important to not just say, oh, you know, we, we just struggle with acknowledging our, the way we, we all come from, you know, the realm of the maternal bodily body and we just have to em- embrace it and come back to it. But it's it's not that simple because we we uh, I, I mean we we cannot just um, give up or or, or or you know throw out uh, the idea of like subjectivity as we understand it here um, it, it's I, I think it's a dilemma I mean it, it's a it's a big dilemma we're dealing with here the 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 example you mentioned, um, there, uh, very, the very, it's very, it's quite rare, but it 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 does happen, right? The pregnancy denial. Um, of course, there. We have to consider, right? That it's a concern, right? We would certainly be concerned, and as always, we we have to be so mindful of not pathologizing or not, you know, it's 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 a this like rarity, a clinical rarity is all. Clinical rarities are always ripe for projections, right? We can really ripe for some projections of pathology, um, right? Because, like for example, we could say, oh my God, this person must must have had some really serious uh, trauma causing some seer, severe, dissociation. Um, and, and uh, yeah, likely. Um, and also, who knows what could be going on neurologically, biologically, that is just maybe challenging that connection combined with whatever, you know, t- developmental trauma there could be, right? Who knows if there's something that is like, you know some some uh, women don't feel the movements of the of the baby and some women feel it a lot right there's it's this big interplay between you know the whatever your like biological uh situation is and then what your experiences uh were um but it's interesting that because it's there's there is there's this romanticized idea about the mother being so devoted and connected to the baby uh, fully. So, so that clinical rarity, we would say, whoa, that's so, so awful. The disconnected uh, um, expecting mother, that's like a horror situation. But the truth is that that those feelings of disconnect are so common, you know, it's so common to experience this like enormous sense of fragmentation and feeling disconnected from your body. Uh, I I talk in the book about like what it's like to mother from a traumatized body self and how tons of women parents, they, they, they do it anyway. They, they, they do it. And it, it feels like the most impossible thing to do and they do it and they have to do it. Right. They go through it. I work with people all the time that just, you know, you, you have to do it. And so, so that is our reality, right? It's not like we have this like, Perfect, uh, pure, perfectly healthy version of that. You know, that's a fantasy. That the perfect mother who's perfectly attuned and aligned—that's a fantasy. Um, that um, you know, th- there's no real actual people out there in the world who are completely pure and going through that maternal transition without without uh, upheaval and overwhelm and, and struggle. I mean, and that it kind of captures our humanity in that way. I, I often say like, I, I, I would, it would actually be the greatest tragedy if you were uh, born by parents who did not get their hearts uh, completely cracked up and overwhelmed and had their whole lives turned upside down by, by your birth. I think that's, that's actually the, that would be a tragedy in itself if you because it, because it, it it's the significance of of the of the child being born, right? It's a human being. It's the deep significance. Um, um so uh, yeah. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously, and six one since that matters. And what do I even say other than hey? <sighs> well, That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer.
1: I'm sorry, I might have gotten off on a, on a few tangents there. Uh, yeah, that, that,
0: that, that resonates so much. And it, like it, it is actually so critical because it means you're attuned and to feel nothing and to be unchanged is far more concerning um yeah I, I i love what i love what you're saying
2: you mentioned uh Jacqueline rose who's been on this program and talked about that jessica benjamin um uh something that struck me can you can you talk about how, and you also talk about being empowered just now the difference between uh, empowered mothering and feminist mothering and then what are the five tenets of empowered mothering
1: yes yeah, so um th- and I love that we're getting to this uh, piece, uh, which is um, uh, the the matricentric feminism or the psychosocial piece, uh, because that's a really important piece to to nuance when we talk about like psychoanalytic and psychological things, and then the biomedical. So the the more of the so- social or psychosocial realm. Um, the field of metrocentric feminism is, is, is crucial there and really offers an important uh, level of analysis and critical thinking about the societal contexts of that. Um, this is a field started by uh, or developed by um, Andrea O'Reilly um, and, and many others. But the, the idea, there is a this idea of patriarchal motherhood or, or institutionalized motherhood looking at the, Social institution of motherhood and the pressure of of that on the collective level, and that being different from the individual's potential for mothering or parenting, and um, this was a, this goes back to. Um, uh, a rich, famous distinction. Here, she she did this uh, distinction back in in the 70s, and and that distinction, that way of thinking, has been, it's been crucial to to separate these two, and to really see. And and I mean, in in real life, it's it's very hard. I, so much of my work with my clients is about just sitting in the mess of like which is which, and it's impossible. But but. Um, It these concepts are so helpful because it's, you can ask yourself, well, what's going on here? Am I trying to live up to these culturally prescribed ideas about what, quote unquote, good mothering is, right? Living up to these roles? Or am I discovering my mothering as an expression of myself, like my my subjectivity being transformed now into being a maternal subject and therefore my mothering being an expression of that so the mothering is not this like performance or this like technique or this like objectively correct way of doing something like caregiving as this like objective truth but as an expression of who you are embedded in also your own personal and cultural context right because there's no such thing as one perfect way of mothering um and when you can really separate those two or distinguish them and assert and discover your own expression and your potentials there, that is empowered, right? Because it's empowered, it's becoming empowered, um, to not be, um, dominated by dictates from, uh, institutionalized or patriarchal motherhood. So, um, the difference between empowered mothering and feminist mothering is that feminist mothering is empowered mothering that where you specifically identify as feminist, right? And the reason why it's important to distinguish is that there are mothers and parents out there who do not identify as feminists, but they are doing things their own way um, for all kinds of reasons. And they are not living up to the dictates of patriarchal motherhood, uh, either because they don't, they are not able to, or because, and or because they don't want to. So consider things like single moms or uh, moms, parents in different family formations, right? You know, they, their way aspects of it, they don't, they're not able to live up to this ideal of a the ideal mother, um, but maybe they don't, they just don't want to, for whatever reason that is. They don't want to live up to, for example, these expectations of, for intensive mothering, that mothering is supposed to be so enormously intense, um, because they, they don't want to. Um, so, so that's important to distinguish there, um, to kind of, to be careful not to kind of, uh continue like an imposing of of ideas, right? Like, for example, feminist ideas. um, So you don't impose that. And I I find that helpful in my work because it's very, I have, I certainly work with people who will identify as feminists and say that that's really important to them. And they have a very uh, enriching process of discovering that and asserting themselves uh, within the understanding of feminism, and I also have somewhere that that wouldn't resonate for them for different reasons. And it's important to be respectful um, of that. And then um, what was the other question you asked me about the, the tenets of-
2: Well, um, yeah, I think you have five tenets of empowered mothering.
1: Uh, yes, yes, I have them. Let's see if I can uh, remember them. Uh, at their A's, the five A's. Uh, what I found so interesting with these is, uh, and I've, I had studied uh, uh, these tenets are from Andrea O'Reilly. I had studied these a uh, long time ago, and and then I had done more. Uh, somatic training, trauma training, studied this. And what was really interesting to me is that these central tenets of empowered mothering really align with our thinking in like trauma informed or trauma responsive care. Um, uh, and O'Reilly, while she's certainly very well versed in psychology, she's, she's not a, a mental health professional. That's not like her perspective. Um, and the five tenets are agency, autonomy, authenticity, authority, and advocacy or activism. And um, agency is something we also talk a lot about from a somatic perspective, where it's a, it's a, a focus of somatic techniques of, like, how do you build up a sense of agency? What I love about the somatic approach is that agency becomes very concrete. It is not this, like, abstract idea of, like, I can move through the world with, like, a sense of having agency, of being a the author of my life. It's like concretely, what is agency experienced in the body? It's that I feel capable of responding to my sensations and what is going on in my body in a way where I can kind of ride the waves of my nervous system. And I have agency in what I'm choosing to do as opposed to when you're having anxiety attack where you feel powerless to the sensations of anxiety. So we work a lot on that. Like the we, we take it down to the smallest increments of that, like the experience of like I have agency to open and close my eyes uh, because just to experience the agency or to even reduce uh, stimulation, right? Like I work a lot on that level because that's like the, the, the building blocks of what eventually builds up to a a larger sense of agency in your, in your life, in your relationships, in, in your, in your life as a whole. Um, And um, of course, with that comes also autonomy uh, where, you know, a sense of, a sense of yourself where you get to choose, you know, how are you choosing to mother? How are you choosing what to do? I, I see uh, so much of this understandable longing for answers for how to do mothering or parenting the best way how to do the whole sleeping or the all of that and um i i there's certainly good uh people out there offering g- great insights on what for for parenting and children but i i feel like the number one thing is to look at well what 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 feels like what does it feel like the choices what does it feel like that that sense of like autonomy or, um, um, the way you respond to it yourself, the way the individual mother feels like, what is, what, how, like to, to create that sense of like, what is working for me? How can I tune in? And that's not going to be a perfect answer because, because ambivalence, right? We can feel very ambivalent. So much of parenting is about, oh, I want to do this, but I also don't want to do it. I'm torn between this. Uh, Parenting is just one long line of dilemmas but the more we can practice that sense of tuning into your own subjective experience and how you're navigating the dilemma and what can then feel good and then connect that to the nervous system experience of what feels good i think that is needed for building that what we call empowered mothering right it's like it's it's not whether you live up to some prescribed idea about what good mothering is. It's, does your body tell you that? Can you like your, your body will tell you if it feels like it's resonating, if there's some, if there's balance and your body is not going to be able to tell you, Oh, it's all perfect, but there will be enough sense of like, um, authenticity and integrity and um alignment uh with with a sense of self uh when you're navigating the dilemmas of parenting
2: so in 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 terms of bodily uh resonance um there was uh uh a section of the book that i'd love to know more about you know from the the clinical point of view from the clinician side because you, you, you say, you, you write, my hope is that by reading this book as a clinician, you will feel less apprehension about the tender work of trauma healing in the perinatal period. What are the somatic countertransferences specific to the perinatal transition? What's, what's happening in the, the countertransferences for, for us, for the analyst?
1: Yeah. And I also, I, I love this question because this is where the psychoanalytic approach and the somatic can really uh, cross-pollinate and enrich each other here. I'm very inspired by Susie Orbach. She's done, she's really done some amazing work in this area because the the somatic kind of transference is, is really crucial because it's not enough to have that cognitive awareness of your own biases and have that reflective process of like, oh, my, I have this thought or feeling come up in my countertransference and how can I use that as information? Like that needs to be connected on a bodily level because there's going to be so much nonverbal relational uh, communication going on where that upheaval, that state of overwhelm that the client is going to be in is going to impact you also on a bodily level I think it's it would be concerning to think you can work with someone who's in that that state, right, of of the maternal transition, and think that you can respond to that purely from a mental state. Um, we we need. I have a section where I, I I suggest a number of reflection questions for clinicians to look at and to. For their own exploration, because we all have very strong bodily projections to towards the maternal, the maternal body, the maternal realm, the 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 mother-child dyad. It is one of the few things I think that elicits the strongest and most unconscious uh, projections uh, we we all have towards that and. As clinicians, if we're going to be working in this, we need to examine that. And um, I think with, with my experience is that with practice, the more you have examined this, the you, you can you can get more at home in that. You can become less um, overwhelmed by it. If you become more familiar with this, I call it like the landscape of the perinatal um, or the maternal bodily Reactions um, often the, the 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 somatic countertransference are going to be about, of course, your own uh, story related to reproduction, your own reproductive journey, your own relationship to maternal bodies, whether you have one yourself or not, or uh, are one, or your own relationship to other mothers uh, in your in your life, um, and um, how much you can tolerate. Sitting with that, um, how much you tolerate the the different the 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 the, old, the terror of that. Um, Rosemary Balsam is another uh, uh, writer that I'm very inspired by because her writing is 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 very inspiring because she really goes into the intensity of the bodily landscape of the perinatal and, and reading her was actually crucial for my, for my development of this uh, work is that she just writes with this like natural, like this is the landscape. We have to get used to it. We have to be in it. We uh, dare I say desensitize ourselves, but it's like we, we have to get, get into it and cultivate an awareness of this is that field of these very intense the very intense bodily affective often nonverbal or, or unconscious meanings um, um, and I think clinicians can train that you can you can practice that and you can get better at it
2: yeah you I mean the the book has a number of, of <clears throat> uh, graphs and charts and things that are really really helpful um, goals are did you have questions that uh, we haven't gotten to that you'd like to to ask here as we,
0: you you know, it's funny as a analyst who has always defended being a psychoanalyst in a OB practice working with perinatal women. Um, I am finding myself really drawn to everything that's a little more, um, physiological that you talk about. Um, so I, I would love to to touch on either, um, and, and I know we've limited time left, the nervous system expansion stuff that you were talking about. I'm really interested in that. Um, and also just maybe even briefly just something on the perinatal inflammation and its relationship to depression, because that also really blew me away.
1: Yeah, certainly. So, so when you really dig into the research, you see that this, uh, the, the inflammation changes that, very delicate changes of pregnancy and postpartum uh, poses these like enormous shifts in the body where you have to first in the first trimester, there's like a uh, increase of that inflammatory response and then it lessens and then comes back a lot in the third trimester, getting ready for delivery. And it's like, the, and the body just does its thing, right? Like these these things are very much, very powerful. And we know there is a, a, a link between uh, mood and depression and inflam- inflammation, um, it's very delicate. So it's like the, the piece of trauma is a big piece there because tra- trauma is like that accumulated stress. I, I like the term allostatic load because it talks about like uh, traumatic stress is like this, the accumulated stressor on the bottom of a uh, body, on the systems, the, uh, they kind of build up uh, over your, across the lifespan. span. Um, so it's like how much inflammatory uh, uh, bur- how much of an inflammatory burden are you carrying as you're then uh, going through that that transition? So the we, we we just have we have to think about how addressing the inflammation peas in all the ways. Like all the ways, whether that's very concrete, you know, the going, your 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 recovery, the OB, the lactation consultant, the psychiatrist, uh, all of that, and then on that psychological uh, relational level, where that the as many experiences of relational support, what we know, attunement, holding, safety, where you and that the, the therapeutic alliance it has an anti-inflammatory component. Um, it's probably not, you know, not only, uh, just doing a lot of very uh, deep reflection in and of itself. Um, I, I think there needs to be much more of just the, the whole relational holding and attunement and, um, I mean we have so many wonderful terms in the psychoanalytic literature about this that I've de- I'm escaping me right now. I'm sure you you are you can think up a lot of how this has been expanded on in the literature but but those experiences where it's so nonverbal in the sense of you know that containment uh yeah good old beyond right the containment function um it, it, we know it connects to the, to that the, the it's anti-inflammatory in nature. Um, and that's where I am, am the the somatic techniques are all about that. And even if you don't um or you don't have um, somatic training and you're not interested in kind of adapting specific somatic moda- techniques, things like that, doing a lot of somatic uh, work just on your own, and then you know, continuing all the good, the the, the all the great uh, analytic tools we have, can can really can make a difference. Um, uh, I I think a lot of you know people work analytically and are maybe not going to go about and get you know do like somatic stuff could still really for just for their own um, uh, carrying that you know for their own experience of uh, expanding their capacities. Uh, we know it's 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 heavy to do analytic work. Uh, it's hard on the analytic body.
0: I really like that idea because I like the idea of how if we are going to be the container, we have to be able to like embody it ourselves and in that transfer, it, whether or not you're actually doing the somatic room in the room with the patient.
2: Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard the idea of the container being anti-inflammatory. So now I have a new... I love new ideas.
1: I, I believe um, it. I, I certainly believe that. I stand by that.
2: Good. Since we are um, at the end, uh, Helena, is there anything that we didn't cover that you'd like to share for the, the listeners who um, are learning about the book?
1: Um well, I mean, I'm, of course, uh, very excited to share it and ha- so happy to get an opportunity to talk about it. And I'll be also, you know, doing, developing, you know, more t- trainings in the area. Um, I'll be working more on a, I, I, have, I have another project I'm working on, which is to go into not so much the maternal or perinatal, uh, but specifically um or more broadly embodiment and the way this whole topic of the somatic in the field of psychoanalysis um, that I'm seeing some really exciting changes going on and I want to very much be part of that conversation and I think we're we're moving towards a a big shift uh, with the the body more and more and um, I'll be writing about that uh, in the coming year. I have a, a book project on that too.
2: Oh good, so you'll, you'll come back and talk to us about that book.
1: Certainly. Great.
2: We have been talking with Dr. Helena Vissing, her new book, Somatic Maternal Healing: Psychodynamic and Somatic Trauma: Treatment for Perinatal Mental Health. Uh, Dr. Vissing, thank you for joining. Golzar, thank you for the help.